1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens and MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC. Today we have Dr. Whitney Hearing own with us. She is a pediatrician as well, but she is has a specialty in childhood obesity, and so she takes care of children with who are obese and have complications from obesity. Which unfortunately we're seeing more and more. And most of these obese teenagers are becoming obese adults, and so we're seeing a lot of that in our internal medicine clinic as well. So we're going to be talking today about childhood obesity, the different complications, some things that you could do as a parent, to help your child to prevent this or to treat it. And we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can also send us an email at kids at mpbonline.org. So welcome, Dr. Herring. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about what you do, because you have a specialty in this, right? Yes, yes. So I'm board certified in obesity
0: medicine, and I have a clinic that is multidisciplinary. So that means that it's not just me. It's uh, me and another provider, and then also a dietitian, a certified dietitian, and a
1: psychologist. So y'all kind of hit it from all aspects, because obesity is not just... It's a, it's a big deal. It's complicated. Because it's very complicated. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a great word for it, complicated. Multifaceted, which yes. is why you need those multidisciplinary teams and all the different people involved. Yes,
0: yes. So we get referrals from throughout the state, usually from primary care. Um, pediatricians or family medicine physicians, sometimes we'll get them from uh, su- other subspecialists who have actually been seeing the child for something that might be related to obesity. Um, and most of the time it's triggered by the the primary care doctor looking at their growth and seeing a problem. Mm-hmm. And that's when they um, they usually will try themselves to help. But uh, after a certain point, they send them to us to get um, specialized help.
1: Yeah, because yeah. it's hard to do that in our 15 minute clinic visits that we have as pediatricians and internists to do. <laughs> All the counseling and oh, the education yes. that it takes, um, especially in our pediatric patients. Yes,
0: yes. And we know obesity is a disease, and it's not simply calories in, calories out, not simply what you're eating, exercise. There's a lot of different um, aspects
1: of it that are just more complicated, like we were talking about earlier, and uh, need to be addressed. Yeah, yeah. So I know as a med-peds physician, I see – a a ton of teenagers with high blood pressure and, mm-hmm. and kids as well, too. Um, we have some with diabetes as well that we take care of because as as MedPeds we're kind of the, we're used to taking care of it as adults, not as much as kids. But since we have all that training, we do take care of a lot of our teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I'm seeing it more and more in our clinics and our resident clinics. And so it's definitely something that needs to be addressed and talked about. Yeah. So thank you for coming on with us today to, to do that. Yeah. So uh, a few statistics I found uh, just over the past 30 years, the rate of childhood obesity has doubled and the rate of teen obesity has quadrupled. So, I mean, that's it's pretty prevalent, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that children. Children. That are obese from ages five to ten years, sixty percent already have one risk risk factor for cardiovascular disease, Mm -hmm. and so cardiovascular disease is what we consider risk for heart attacks and Mm -hmm. strokes. Are typically what we think about. So that includes high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, different things like that. So sixty percent of kids five to ten years old already have one of those risk factors. Yeah, it's pretty scary.
0: Yes, Um, because even. Several years ago when I was still in my residency, we still weren't seeing it as much as we are now. Mm-hmm. And certainly me being in a, a weight clinic, I'm, you know, seeing the majority of those issues there. But um, it, it really, if you think about it, five to ten years, I mean, we're talking about yeah, elementary school kids, yeah. and they're already needing to be on blood pressure medication and um, make changes um, in terms of their diet and um, exercise amounts to try to lower lower their blood pressure, lower their cholesterol numbers. And so if you think about it, um, this risk, this young, just
1: amplifies their risk later on. And sometimes it's hard to explain that to a teenager, <laughs> that right. this is, you know, we're not trying to be mean. Mm-hmm. We're just trying to mm-hmm. address, because it's hard to see, As a teenager, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, when you're going to have the major problems. Right. Right. And they,
0: I mean, just teenagers in general, I mean, we know that they don't, they're not able to really realize long-term consequences Mm -hmm. yet. And they don't really, even if, even having a family member with diabetes who maybe has had something, you know, surgery to have a toe removed or something like that, it's still hard for them to really See that a change made now in choosing a healthier food item or drink is going to make a difference and keep them from
1: potentially keep them from having to have that. Right? It's hard for even my adult patients because Mm -hmm. a lot of times you don't necessarily feel bad with a lot of these problems. High blood pressure doesn't make you feel Mm -hmm. bad. Diabetes, I guess, sometimes can, but Mm -hmm. not always. Cholesterol, you usually don't Mm -hmm. feel any problems with. So it's it's hard even in my adult patients, much less my kids and teens that have these yep. problems. Because when you don't feel bad, it's hard to justify having to take a medicine or right. cut things out of your diet. So it's it's very complicated. So yeah, and um, probably the most
0: common thing that we see kids coming in with that is affecting them on a day-to-day basis is maybe joint pain, um, back pain. They may have trouble playing sports, may not be able to keep up with their friends when they're doing PE or playing outside. They may get really short of breath quickly. Um, and of course there are things that that could be due to that aren't necessarily weight related. So, you know, obviously that would need to be checked out, um, by their doctor, but, um, Usually, if they're not yet having those issues, then it is more of kind of a silent thing going on that they're not even realizing is
1: really hurting them from the inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're talking today with Dr. Whitney Herring. She is a pediatric obesity physician, and so we would love to hear from you. Maybe give us a call and share some tips that you found with your kids or that found to be helpful or advice that you were given that you found to be helpful. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at one mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 So how do we monitor for obesity because um, We have, you know, we stress in here all the time, make sure you're getting your checkups and you need to be seeing your doctor regularly. But tell us a little bit about what the pediatrician does to monitor that. So every time, really every time you go to the doctor, your child
0: will at least get a weight Um, with checkups, they'll get a weight and a height and above the age of two, they will have a body mass index or BMI calculated for them. And that is plotted on a growth chart. Most of the time we use a CDC-provided growth chart. Um, But once the body mass index percentile gets above the 85th percentile, that's when kind of the concern starts, starts. And 85th to 94th percentile Um, is overweight category and 95th and above is the obese category. Um, They're we are seeing a lot more um, severe obesity. So we now have a growth chart that gives us how far above the 95th percentile, how severe the obesity is. So you might hear a doctor say, oh, we're at 120% of the 95th percentile, which really um, increases your risk for those cardiovascular disease issues like we kind of touched on earlier. And so that's really when the doctor will say okay um, we're starting to see a problem here now they may get concerned if there's um, a sudden weight gain Mm -hmm. um, that is really out of the normal um, and that's when they might start talking to you about okay we might need to change some things although really it's recommended that um, advice about healthy habits Things to eat that are correct, things to drink that are the best things, and then of course, plenty of physical activity that starts from the time really they're born. Mm-hmm. Um, so
1: hopefully, you don't have to get to the point where somebody's concerned, right? And that's that's what I try to counsel my patients, parents, own too, is try not to necessarily avoid, you know. Restrict, I guess, would be a better mm-hmm. word. You don't want to do that. You want right. to try to start as early as you can, just making those healthy choices mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. it becomes a habit, so that that's what your child expects, so that you don't feel like you're restricting them or keeping them from living a normal childhood and enjoying ice cream and different things like that. Right. But just going and initiating those healthy choices and keeping them active as early as you can so that that way you hopefully won't have those problems down the road.
0: Right. And and we know that it's important also for the parent or caregiver, whoever it is, to model that behavior. So, you know, if
1: you want your child to eat vegetables, then they're more likely to eat them if they see you eating them. Yes. Yes, and that's why family dinners I always say are so important. Right. Not only for talking to your kids and that open communication, but also so they can watch what you eat. And if they say you doing it, they're more likely to do it. Right. Right. Exactly. So we're talking today about childhood obesity. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll go to Dawn. Thanks for calling, Don. Yes. I actually, you just addressed one of the comments that uh, I was going to make about parents modeling behavior. I was a public school teacher and coach for years and became a personal trainer. And uh, anyway, the, one of the biggest things that I often saw was parents who modeled that behavior uh, as the child was growing up. Uh, was a very big factor mm-hmm. uh, in the outcome. But you've just addressed it. Yes. No, well, thank you so much for sharing that because you've seen that and how it works, that children respond to what their parents do, and they will follow those behaviors. So thank you so much for calling. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Have a good day. So, yeah, so that is it's so important. And that's one thing I always try to stress, and I know you all do too, because when you have – you, you invite the parents and make sure that the parents are at the appointment so that everybody gets on board, because it's not fair to just single out your child. Um, when when you have to address this, it, everybody has to be on board. Parents, grandparents, all the different caretakers. It can't just be only on the kid. Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right,
0: because it, it really it's likely that they're probably already feeling um self-conscious, maybe their self-esteem is low. They might even be depressed or anxious about being or in eating in front of people. Um they might already notice that they it's hard for them to stop eating, you know, those kind of things. So, um just really um being able to not only have everybody in the family on board in terms of watching them and, and looking for potentially problematic behaviors, but also um, knowing that, hey, if, you know, if life is busy, and so if I need someone to keep them or watch them, that I know that they're going to be with me and knowing that we need to cut down on certain things or make sure that they're active or whatever it may be.
1: So we'll take a quick break and then we'll continue our discussions about childhood obesity and its complications and how we can prevent it and treat it. We'd love to hear from you. So give us a call. one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 You can also send us an email at kids at mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens and MPB Think Radio. Today we're talking about childhood obesity and the different complications and um, different frustrations maybe that you have when we're trying to take care, treat our children with this as well as care for our children with this, uh, both as physicians and parents and family members and, and everything uh, that is involved. Because as we've talked about, it's a very complex and complicated issue that is only becoming more and more rampant. So uh, we talked a little bit. Dr. Herring explained to us about what we're looking for when we go to our checkups and how we actually define obesity. So what your pediatrician is doing and why it's important to go to your checkups and have your weight and your height measured in your kids. But now let's talk a little bit about what we actually do. So if we do recognize that a child is Having problems with their weight, that they are overweight or obese. Um, what what kind of things are we looking for exactly? We kind of talked a little bit about it earlier, but tell us exactly kind of the different comorbidities that we're mm-hmm. looking that go along with it. Right. So one of the most common ones that um,
0: most people have heard of is um, hypertension or high blood pressure. Um, so that's one of the first things that we check for. Um, for the majority, we're not going to necessarily make a diagnosis the first time we see them, but is something that we have to kind of keep tabs on and your pediatrician can help you do that too, or a family physician. Um, we of course will check the weight and height and calculate the body mass index and kind of see where we are. Um, for the most part, we will, um, if labs or blood work have not already been done, we will get those. And, um, some examples of what we check for, we'll check cholesterol, we'll check um, for blood sugar, blood sugar average. Um, We also check kidneys and liver. And um, one of the things that um, we're looking for with, well, I'll give you several examples. But um, when we're looking at the liver, one thing that people I don't think always realize can be a complication is something called uh, fatty liver that's not related to alcohol. And uh, we know that that can damage the Liver, and we don't want that to happen, uh, but really, there are weight loss and uh, bariatric surgery are the only two treatments um, so diet and exercise based weight loss or, or surgery. And we try not to go the surgery route, especially in a, in a child. Um, with blood sugar of course we're screening for diabetes and um there is something called pre-diabetes which means that you're not quite to the diabetes level but um pre-diabetes can be concerning and um if it's high enough we we start to consider medication um of course we want to give every opportunity to make be able to decrease that number with just changing things in your diet and exercise um we're we're also sometimes looking for is there another cause for for obesity um the most common is just that um it's some people will say excess calories, but um, environmental causes. Now, we know genetics play a big role, uh, and that might not be due to a single um, genetic change. Um, usually, if that's the case, then there are other problems coming along with it, like um, maybe um, some maybe learning disabilities or something like that. It usually wouldn't be just obesity. Um, And then so that can be inherited. You know, if you have a family history of weight problems, then you're more at risk to have them yourself. Um, there are also things that people, a lot of people, get concerned about. Thyroid, uh, generally, that's not the cause. It's a rare cause. Uh, it can be a cause, but if um, if the height growth is normal, um, then that's going to be lower on the list for us to test for. Um, certainly, in uh, teenage girls, polycystic ovarian syndrome has become. Um, something that's more common that we're seeing more and if we see that there is um kind of concerning features of a a menstrual cycle or period then then we might test for that too
1: and i i saw one study when i was kind of doing some research in this i think it was like a danish study several years ago i'm not sure if you're familiar with it but it was twins that had been adopted from from other families and they, they followed them and they actually saw that m- more likely it was the twins ended up being about the same size and having the same comorbidities like when it came to obesity and their weight than it actually was their adopted families. Mm-hmm. It was more related to the twins. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it definitely tends to run in families. We yes. see that a lot. Yeah. yeah, But like you said, it's not always a genetic reason necessarily, but it does right. tend... Obesity tends to run in families. Right. Right. So. And
0: there are... Um, there They have identified some genes that kind of are associated with it, but usually it's not something that we would just test for a specific problem and would... that's the that's the definite reason Mm -hmm. most of the time like like you said it runs in families and some people will say well everybody else is thin but you know it's just her who has the problem or it's him who has the problem and um still i think we still have to be sensitive of the fact that we want to look at it as a disease and not single them out and um really be sensitive in terms of words that we use not calling people fat and really let's be sensitive about it and, and realize that we all have our issues mm-hmm. and we all have things that we battle and feel maybe bad about ourselves and whether it's weight or not. And so, you know, just also
1: teaching our kids to, to be sensitive to that as well. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So we're talking today about childhood obesity. We'd love to hear from you. So give us a call at one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 So we've diagnosed that the child is obese. So what kind of stuff are you going to counsel your patients and tell them to do first?
0: Well, when they come to our clinic, they see a dietitian, and that that is a huge, huge, huge part of it. Um, like I was talking about having um, a family history of weight problems, or even a genetic cause. That still, there we really can't do anything about that. But we can do something about what we're putting in our bodies and how much activity we have. So that's really the first thing that we talk about. Of course, we try to make sure that there's not an outside cause, but. Um, we we don't want to necessarily put someone on a diet. Um, all of the fad diets out there—they're really just not going to help you for the long term. And everybody's probably heard of the the popular ones out now. Um, but we we try to emphasize that it's it's more about living a healthy lifestyle because if those things are taught early and modeled by the family that that's more likely to stick for the long term and make them healthy adults and then of course
1: through generations um so lifestyle is the key word yes yeah it's it's not we're gonna be on a diet we're gonna it's we're gonna change our lifestyle right and that's not easy i mean i I think with it, that
0: anybody could say that it's hard if they're trying to be better about not as many sweets or sodas or whatever. And um, I don't like to completely restrict mm-hmm certain items or certain groups of items because I think it's all about moderation mm-hmm. and um, the truth is that m- for the most part if we cut something out completely we're going to end up craving it and then we're going to eat more of it or drink more of it later on so um, just having it less often or in lower amounts can still satisfy that craving and um, and but not add as much you know, of whether it's calories or um, sugars, just not all of that really adds anything to your overall nutrition.
1: Right. So. And so the nutritionist can kind of help you come up with that. I know I've seen them a, a lot of times do kind of a summary, make you talk about what you normally eat for breakfast, mm-hmm. what you normally eat for lunch and dinner, and kind of break that down into like, What the healthy components are of that, what the unhealthy components, how many calories that is, and different things like that that you can address so that you can make those changes.
0: Yeah, and um, people, which is completely understandable, people can get pretty overwhelmed Mm -hmm. at a visit Um, because you do go in there thinking, I'm doing all this stuff wrong. I need to change everything. I need to go get (laughs) rid of everything in my pantry, everything in my fridge. But um I think that what works better is to have identify a few things that are right for you, for your child, for your family right now, and work on those because even small changes mm-hmm. can make a big difference. And if you, um, you know, summer's here, it's difficult over the summer. Taking vacations, it makes it difficult. So even if you slip or have a cheat day or um, fall off the wagon, per Mm -hmm. se, that
1: it's okay. Just getting back on it is what's important. Yeah. I usually tell people to find one thing that they can change and work on that and only work on that for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And then after you get that one down, you can pick another thing that you're going to work on. So this, this next couple of weeks, I'm going to eat less red meat. Or I'm going to only eat dessert one day out of the week. You know, just pick one thing that you can work on. Because if you like you said, you it's very easy to get overwhelmed. And if you jump right into it and say, I'm going to cut everything out. You're going to fall off that bandwagon.
0: (laughs) And it kind of sets you up for failure, which then makes you feel like, well, if I can't do that, then I can't do any of it. I just give up. Right. But if you if you have a goal and you make it specific, because that's important to really making sure that instead of just saying my goal is to eat healthy, Mm -hmm. then I'm going to make it specific. I'm going to target soda. Yeah, You know, instead of three sets a day, I'm going to cut it to two. And then the next week, I'm going to go to one. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to do every other day so that you know if
1: you've reached it and you set yourself up for success, exactly. not failure. Yeah. We always talk about children like positive reinforcement, but we like it as adults, too. Mm-hmm. So this works for our kids and adults, too. When you meet that goal, you're more motivated to go to the next goal and to create your next goal. And so that's why... It it works really good to have short term goals and not to try to do everything all at once. Right. And also to
0: try to change the the thinking. I mean, this is how I grew up, too, that if if we did something great at school, then we got a party (laughs) with pizza or we got a treat, you know. And so we want to try to change the that we need to reward everything with food because there are so many other things that a child will respond to that's positive that doesn't have anything to do with food yes Um, and they do need it they respond really well to positive reinforcement and um celebrating even small like you we went out to eat and you made a healthy choice that day or you you ate a smaller portion yay then we'll you know for a younger child they may respond to we'll get you some stickers yeah or you know an old a teenager maybe even rewarding them with um a a trip to the you know trampoline park or something like that um that just shifts the focus away
1: from food yes Kids love stickers. Yes, they do. We get stickers <laughs> out at clinic and that's one of their most favorite things. And it's something that's super simple and they're pretty cheap. Mm-hmm. And it's something easy that you wouldn't think they would get that excited about. But they love stickers. Maybe not work for your teenagers, <laughs> but for your kids, definitely would right. work for you. So we'll take a quick break and we'll continue our discussions about childhood obesity and we're going to talk about some tips coming up to help you with change your diet and some different ways to get activity and exercise in too. Give us a call at 1877 MPB ring. That's 18776727464. This is Southern Remedy, Kids and Teens, on MPB Think Radio. Today we're talking about childhood obesity and the different complications that come with that, as well as the challenge that children and parents face. We have Dr. Whitney Herring with us, and she is a pediatric childhood obesity doctor and she is talking to us today and giving us some tips we'd love to hear from you maybe you've struggled with this or your child and you have some tips that you found that were helpful for y'all too give us a call and share those with us 1-877-MPB-RING that's 1-877-672-7464 So we talked about the importance of lifestyle changes, and part of that does include some modifications to your diet. So what are some quick and easy tips that you could give some listeners out there that they could do both for them as adults as well as for their children, too? So one of the easiest, well... I say easiest, but it's not always
0: easy, is to watch what you're drinking. There, mm-hmm. is, there are a lot of kind of empty calories, lots of sugar in beverages, and they really do nothing for your body. One common misconception is juice mm-hmm. and Honestly, I would rather nobody ever had juice because if if they um, yes, you know they'll say it counts as a serving of fruit, but we would prefer that if you want the taste of an apple that you actually eat the apple. That way, you can get the benefits from the whole piece of fruit: fiber, vitamins, all of it. Um, one of the big ones is sodas, honestly, and um, there there's a lot of. Um, sugar in them turns into basically empty calories for your body doesn't do anything for you um people talk about artificial sweeteners and there are lots of opinions on artificial sweeteners and i probably won't go into all that but um yes they are they are an alternative for a full sugar beverage but um probably not the healthiest choice. Um, We honestly, my preference is water or low fat or skim milk. And, you know, there are a lot of opinions out there about milk, too. It's not an absolute necessity, but um, there are benefits to it. And certainly people can get their vitamins from from eating healthier like vegetables and things like that. Um, The next one is is vegetables, since I was kind of like alluding to that there, The rule is five fruits and vegetables a day is what you should shoot for, but I recommend going more towards the vegetable side. There is a difference between a starchy vegetable and a non-starchy vegetable, and here in the South, we like a lot of beans and peas. Um, most beans and peas are starchy. Mm-hmm. Green beans are considered non-starchy, and um, so you can still have the starchy vegetables, but... Um, with the starches in general, like um, beans, peas, corn, bread, um, pasta, rice, those things uh, you can put on the plate, but they just need to be a smaller amount. And um, choosemyplate.gov recommends that half the plate be made up of non-starchy vegetables, preferably. Um, So that's something to shoot for, too, and that kind of brings it back – are, comes back around to the whole modeling the behavior thing because if we're not eating vegetables or we say oh that's gross then they're more likely to say oh that's gross I'm not
1: trying that either so um, so what do you tell your patients, families, because I get this question all the time when I tell them try more and more vegetables. What do you tell them when they say they just won't eat them? Well, that's really common.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I tell them it's a process. So don't get frustrated. Um, Depending on The the child's experience with vegetables, that kind of lets us know where to start. Now, there are some kids who literally gag on them or don't even... Maybe they're they're they have texture issues, or they want to only eat something that's a certain color, or something like that. There are methods to gradually introduce them to vegetables, even if they're not eating them. Like usually, we'll say for for the regular, um, more like oh, I just they just don't like vegetables. Then we'll say they need to be on the plate every time whether they eat it or not it needs to be on the plate so that allows them to look at it they can touch it they can lick it without even eating it but it just gets them used to being around vegetables mm-hmm. um sometimes if they will eat maybe a few vegetables but not others then we'll say okay well why don't you go to the grocery store with your guardian parent whoever and you decide which one you're ready to try that, that sometimes helps mm-hmm. because then they get a little bit of power, mm-hmm. you know, and so they can choose, oh, well, this looks like something that I might be willing to try. And then, of course, it goes onto the plate and, and I'll say, OK, well, you need to at least try it. You might be surprised if you don't like it. That's OK. You need to try it more than once. It takes several times to try something to really know if you're really, really, truly not going to like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the other thing is there are different cooking methods mm-hmm. that make a one vegetable take, taste completely different depending on how you cook it. So. Yeah.
1: And that's one tip I've heard and I've told parents, too, is get your child to help you cook the vegetables, mm-hmm. too, because if they – If they help you in the kitchen and they help you prepare, prepare the meal, they're more likely to eat it because again, it's kind of that reward system. Like I cooked this, I get to try it. And so they're more likely to eat it and try it if they've helped you. So that kind of goes with everything, the positive reward system, also modeling after the parents. But if they're involved in it, they're more likely to help too. So picking it out at the grocery store, helping cook it. I think those are good tips. Yeah.
0: And then um, there are some communities who have uh, gardens and kids get really interested in planting something and seeing it actually grow a vegetable or a fruit. And they're more likely to try it then, too.
1: Yeah. So part of lifestyle is diet and what we eat, but it's also about the calories that we burn because we normally burn calories all throughout the day, just our body doing its normal daily functions. But we also need to exert a little more exercise and energy for our body. So what would you tell parents? How much activity should their kids be getting? So the official recommendation is 60 minutes a
0: day. And that does not have to be something that is a typical exercise. A lot of people think, oh, I've got to do 60 minutes of running.
1: And it's not 60 minutes consistently either, right? Right, right. So it can be broken down over the day.
0: Um, So if they have a quick 10 minutes in the morning, then they can get that 10 minutes. And then they can, maybe they go to school and they have an hour of PE. Well, of course, the hour would be your 60 minutes. But um, even if it's less than that, it, it can add up over the day. So it doesn't have to be all in one sitting. It can be something like a, a dance video that you're mm-hmm. dancing with. Some people find that doing a treadmill or um, running outside or doing a bike is not their preferred way and they get bored and they're less likely to do it. But if they have an outlet where they almost forget that they're doing physical <laughs> activity, then that that tends
1: to stick and they're more willing to do it. Right. All right. That's what I usually tell people. With adult supervision, you can get on like YouTube and different things like um, Amazon Prime. I know there's all kinds of videos on that too as well. And I'm sure there's plenty of other sources out there that I just am not aware of. But... There's so many videos out there that you can do that are free and available that you can find on YouTube with workout videos and dance workout videos and yoga and different fun things for your kids. So it's not you don't just have to go walking up and down the street. Right. And a lot of um,
0: a lot of the schools use something called Go Noodle. And um, it's free. You can get it. You can get the app or go online. Um, obviously, anytime they're online, they need to be monitored. But um, it has short kind of clips of exercises. It might be teaching them how to do the floss or <laughs> dancing with a skeleton. It can, there there are a lot of options on there. Yes, it's mostly for... Um, younger kids teenagers probably not going to care anything about it but it's a good option especially if um there might you might live in an area where there's not a park to go to or there's not a sidewalk to go walk outside or maybe it's not safe or the weather or whatever it may be um that you can do that while you're in inside Mm -hmm. and they um you know as long as you of course have Internet or a phone or something that you can get to it and give them some physical activity.
1: And parents getting out there and exercising with them also is always good, too. Because, again, modeling that behavior. If they see you out there doing it, they're more likely going to do it as well. Right. And so kind of on that topic of we talked about how good – online and YouTube and Amazon and all these different things are, are great to help. But they also can be a little detrimental as well. So that limiting screen time is also really important because kids can get bogged down in their iPads and their tablets or TV or video games and things like that too, that prevents them from going outside. Right. Right. So
0: it's it's recommended that they don't have any more than two hours. Um, and certainly babies and um, really young children shouldn't have any TV at all. But um, we, we know that it's summertime and um, kids are staying home. And so they're more likely to be playing their video game or on the phone or watching a movie or something like that. So it really um, should be limited. And sometimes I'll even suggest that... Oftentimes, if the parent is already kind of frustrated with the amount that they're on it, that you make that the reward for doing a physical activity. So, OK, you have to go outside and play for an hour and you'll get 20 minutes on your video game or, or you know, whatever works for your family. But um, it, it can lead to them literally sitting on the on the game or in front of the TV all day, especially in the summer. And um, and then of course, when we're bored, sometimes we tend to eat mm-hmm. if we're it's easy access to the food. So we're going to eat more, we're going to be less active. And it kind of is a vicious cycle.
1: Right. And the other thing that's so important with lifestyle is sleep. Right. Which I don't think any of us get enough of um but it's very important in our growing kids and teens that they're getting enough sleep because that it does affect your metabolism and your appetite and your hunger drive because I know when I don't have sleep I tend to be more hungry right. throughout the day than on days where I've gotten a better night's sleep. Right. Yeah, I mean it's very true and um with sleep
0: it kind of brings to mind that something to watch for if your child is overweight or obese is that if you if you start to hear things like you you're wondering whether they're not breathing appropriately or something at night something to talk to your doctor about but um y- a lot of kids will stay up late, and then, you know, if they're they're sleeping late or they're not able, maybe they have to get up early in the morning, it is important to um, have what we call good sleep hygiene, and so that means... Limiting the screen time close to bed, like really not looking at a TV or not looking at a video game within a few hours of going to bed because it can stimulate the brain and um, kind of give it confusing signals. Mm. Um, and then really if, if they could just not have any screen in their room at all would be great mm. because after you go to sleep, it's hard to know if they're on their phone or on their video game um you know making sure that they're going to sleep and trying to make sure that they're not getting anything to eat in the night because most of us aren't going to need
1: that yeah Yeah. and i feel like a lot of times that's when kids do sneak food kids Mm -hmm. that if you when parents say they sneak food they'll find wrappers and things like that that they have stashed overnight so Mm -hmm. um so yeah so that's very important we've got a few minutes left so uh give us a call if you have any questions or a few tips 1-877-MPB-RING That's 1-877-672-7464 This is an MPB think radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens and MPB think radio. Today we've been talking about childhood obesity, different ways we diagnose it, the different complications and the challenges that the children's and parents face when they're dealt with this disease. Dr. Herring has been giving us some good tips, and we've got a few minutes left, so we're going to talk about a few more tips and some of the complications that come along with diabetes, not just physical like high blood pressure and diabetes and different things like that but emotional you know we were we were actually talking about this and how it it's a very sensitive subject and a lot of people don't like to talk about it Um, but it's definitely something that needs to be addressed and so there is a psychological aspect to this um It takes an emotional toll on the kids and people out there that are experiencing obesity. It takes a toll on their families. Um, And so it's it's definitely something that we need to talk about. And so part of that emotional toll that it takes is kids get bullied a lot. um, And that can be by family members, friends, kids that they go to school with, teachers, unfortunately, Um, you know, it, it. It's hard. So a lot of times, I know your clinic has a psychologist there. Um, And so if you, but if you are not near an obesity clinic, it may not be a bad idea to, if your child is suffering with this, for you and your child to maybe go visit a psychologist. Kind of tell us a little bit about the importance of making sure we address that aspect of obesity as well.
0: Yeah, um, it's, it really is more common than I think a lot of people realize. And um, bullying is is really prevalent, and um, I know a lot of people get bullied for multiple reasons, but bullying and, and being taunted and even physically um, abused at school and other places, it really, really can take a toll on them for their lifetime. So it's, it's something that does need to be addressed, and they need to have a safe place that they can Come and talk about it, whether that's a family member or a friend or their school counselor. Sometimes um, it, it certainly wouldn't won't hurt for them to be able to discuss these things and really um, learn to cope. Because I think that um, unfortunately those things can then turn into something bigger, whether it's full blown depression or full blown anxiety or or even disordered eating. Um, We hear a lot about um, eating with emotions and movies and even people we know who will say, you know, I just want to sit in front of the TV with my ice cream. I mean, it's really, really common. And so it it, getting getting help can um, improve your ability to not only cope with things that you're experiencing, but learn how to uh, learn methods of trying to distract yourself from moving away and choosing something else rather than food to, to kind of um, deal with these emotions.
1: Because then it creates a cycle, too, because one of the, as we've, we've talked about before, some of the symptoms of depression and anxiety or appetite changes. And so it's, you know, a lot of patients who are obese experience depression and anxiety. And then they tend to eat more as part of their symptoms of the depression and anxiety. And then it just creates this cycle and it's it's hard to break. Mm-hmm, and it so is. Um, I've talked many times in here, I think counseling is a wonderful thing. And so I definitely think getting a counselor or a psychologist involved in the treatment of obesity and the disease process, I think it's a very important aspect of it.
0: Yeah, and to remember that we can play our part um, as family members and as friends to um, ourselves be kind mm-hmm. to people and remember that you know we could easily be in the same situation and um that using derogatory terms to refer to someone is is just not productive right so um just being being careful about what we say and remembering that we don't want to be called those
1: names either exactly exactly and it takes everybody getting involved too so hopefully this has given some people some tips out there um, if you are if you have any more questions you can always give us an e- shoot us an email at kids at mpbonline.org and we'd be happy to answer any other questions thank you Dr. Herring for coming in with us today and sharing some of your expertise this has been Southern Remedy Kids and Teens this is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you today's show is engineered by jay white i'm dr morgan mcleod join us next thursday at 11 for southern remedy kids and teens and stay tuned for npr's here and now coming up next on mpb think radio